host of Show and Tide, where I interview lawyers and occasionally former lawyers who've gone in to do very interesting things. Uh, today, I'm very pleased to have with me Anya Manuel, who's the co-founder of Rice Hadley Gates, also formerly with the State Department and author of a terrific book called Brave New World. Anya, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me, Richard. So, Anya, so I interview a lot of lawyers, as you may or may not know. So, let me ask you by let me start by asking you why you went to law school to begin with. It's <laughs> a good way if you to can start. remember that far back. <laughs> I can remember that far back. So, I was an undergraduate at Stanford. I've always been interested in foreign policy, and specifically in Asia. I actually grew up partially in. Germany and then in Pakistan. So it's a long-standing interest. And foreign policy is a long-standing interest. And uh, my uh, one of my mentors uh, as a Stanford undergrad was Condoleezza Rice. Hmm. And she actually told me, foreign policy is a business that you'll be in for a few years of your life. You might be in and out, but find something else that you love and that you want to do and that you're happy doing. Hmm. And so that led me to law school. And I was lucky enough to actually work on public international law issues, international anti-corruption work. And so I really enjoyed my time as a lawyer before I left to go join the State Department. Hmm. Did you enjoy law school? Uh it was fine. <laughs> I went to Harvard before that was a kinder, gentler place. So I spent a lot of my time over at the Kennedy School. Yeah, bad. So after you graduated from law school, though, you didn't, you didn't become a lawyer. You practiced law later. Tell me what you did right after law school and why you didn't become start off as a lawyer. Well, I did, actually. So between college and law school, I was an investment banker mm. because I thought that was an important skill to learn. Mm. I feel like everyone needs to understand how you read financial statements and how you work Excel and how to understand how financial transactions work. So I did that for a while, then went to law school, and then I did practice right away. Mm. I practiced for a firm called Wilmer Cutler Hick. Pickering, which mm. is now known as Wilmer Hale. Right, exactly. And how did you like that, and what did you do there? I got incredibly lucky and managed to work directly for Lloyd Cutler, who was one of the founders of the firm and wow. had been White House counsel to Clinton and several other senior lawyers that were wonderful. And I had uh, an experience as a junior associate that I think is basically unparalleled. Hmm. I got to work on a case helping... Um, work through World War II reparations for Germany, hmm. which is very dear to my heart because I'm of German heritage. I then spent a year and a half of my life on a Supreme Court case to fix the campaign finance system in this country, which we won before we got a new court hmm. and then Citizens United, which took it, of course, in the other direction. And I just, you know, it, it could not have been better. Oh, interesting. So then what did, why did you decide to leave the law firm? What did you decide to do after that? I, as I said previously, I'd always been interested in foreign policy. And when I got lucky enough that my former professor became the Secretary of State and invited me to join the State Department, that was too good an opportunity to turn up. Hmm. And what did you do there while you were at the State Department? At the State Department, I worked for Nick Burns, who was one of the nation's great diplomats. He was the number three person at state at the time, meaning hmm. he was responsible for Everything, all the regions of the world. So every ambassador around the world, every regional assistant secretary reported to him. And I managed the South Asia portfolio for him hmm. and uh, helped draft his speeches and did all the congressional stuff. And we did a lot of work, uh, a lot of work involving in India. I got very lucky and was able to be one of the U.S. negotiators for a big treaty we were doing at the time with India called the Civilian Nuclear Deal, mm. uh, which really kind of cemented 
my love for India and its people and really cemented our relationship with India and in the long run led to this book. And I also worked a little bit with China, mostly on um, helping them, prodding them along on the Iran sanctions that mm. we were putting in place. Now, how did you compare working in the State Department with being a lawyer at a law firm? <laughs> a lot longer hours at the State Department <laughs> and much less pay. <laughs> no, no. these jobs... Um, are wonderful if you come in and you're fresh and you're planning to do it for a few years, as I was. Uh, our nation's diplomats work incredibly hard. The people I met were dedicated, smart, hmm. unbelievably hardworking. Hmm. And at that level, things happen at such a pace that you can't imagine it. And it's wonderful, but it also takes its toll. You know, hmm. you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat worried about what you've done. Or I used to have these dreams where I was running through my to-do list at night and I'd wake up and think, oh my God, I haven't actually finished any of those things. <laughs> so it's both great to be at the forefront of what the country is doing and feeling like you're having a real positive impact mm. on behalf of the U.S. and mm. hopefully the world, but it's also, it takes a real toll. So actually, so and rel so relatively speaking, working in law firm actually was a little bit easier and less stressful. Huh? Much easier. Wow, yeah. interesting. So what led to the, the this book that you, as you said, you worked at the State Department that led to the book? What was what was kind of the why and how did that lead to writing this book? Well, I've been interested in Asia since I was a child. So I lived in Pakistan, um, right at the bottom of the Karakoram Highway that leads to the wild west of mm. China mm. and right near the disputed border with India hmm. in Kashmir. And how did you end up being living there? What did your parents do? My that? father was a German diplomat oh. and we were stationed there. Got it. And um, was involved in India and China at the State Department, did a lot of work in those countries also as a lawyer. And now, of course, that I founded the firm with Condi Rice and others, uh, we help U.S. businesses work in India and China and hmm. around the rest of the world. Hmm. And I'm just struck by how quickly, even since I was in the State Department, which was now about a decade ago, how quickly both of those countries have become the dominant powers in this world that we need to find a way to get along with. Hmm. And so I wrote the book for people like my clients or my husband who, or you perhaps who probably do some business in China and India or have traveled there, but may want a little bit more of the context. What's going on historically? Why do these two countries think the way they mm. do? And I was also struck by how these two countries, I think more than any others, are going to have a dramatic impact on the United States. Mm. Mm. So does the book take more of a like an economic analysis, a more political, more cultural? How do you how do you kind of, uh, you know, approach approach those two countries? Yeah, the book intentionally is a broad brushstroke book, something that you could pick up on a plane and would be comfortable reading on your way over to there. Mm. So it's written intentionally with a non-expert in mind. Because okay. I read so many books on China and India, and it's easy to write a huge tome, 800 pages on a tiny little aspect of their history. I find that that doesn't help either me or many of the other people that I feel like reading mm. this type of mm. stuff. So um, it gives not the entire history, which of course you can't, but I spend a few chapters introducing the stories, the historical stories that the Chinese and Indians tell themselves. Mm. So you don't have to know every Chinese dynasty mm. and what happened, mm. but you can't understand China without understanding what mm. happened in the unequal treaties, without well, but, understanding the long march. 
or the Cultural Revolution. What made you decide to actually um, do this and actually write the book? I mean, uh, you know, what, what was it that inspired you to actually you know, take that step and actually write this book as opposed yeah. to just talk about it or be knowledgeable about it? It's a good question. I'd been thinking about it for a while. And of course, I'm lucky to be in, in business with three very intelligent senior diplomats who seem to write a book just about every year. <laughs> so it inspires you to do that too. But actually, in fairness, um, there was a, a girlfriend of mine here in San Francisco who was also thinking about writing a book on a completely different topic. And she inspired me to finally take the step and do it. She mm. said, just just do it. Mm. Write the proposal. Mm. And so I wrote a proposal. And I was lucky enough that Simon & Schuster agreed to publish it. And then you're off to the races. Because for all those budding authors out there listening to this podcast, I think it is really difficult to write a book if you don't have a deadline and you don't have a publisher. So I set up an artificial deadline for myself, and that's how you get things done. You know, when the brief is due, you finish it. <laughs> how did the book change at the end? How, how was the book different at the end than when you, when you thought envisioned it, or did it come out the way you envisioned it? Ah, Tell me a, a little bit about that That's a process. very good question. It came out just about how I envisioned it. Uh, my editor, I was lucky enough to have Alice Mayhew edit the book. She is one of the greats in this business. She edits Bob Woodward. Her first famous book was All the President's Men. Oh, wow. So she has been around the block 20 times. And she actually encouraged me to add a chapter on women. So the center of the book talks through the different challenges that China and India are facing and mm. how they're struggling with them. Mm. Also, from an American perspective, to understand why do they do the things they do? How are they both managing corruption differently? How are they managing their environmental degradation? And she encouraged me to add a chapter on women, and it was a um, it turned into a great exploration for me hmm. because when I go to China and India, I meet with business leaders or with politicians and government leaders, and this allowed me to dig in a little bit deeper. What was the hardest chapter to write? Hmm. Always the introduction. <laughs> you are, I don't know how you do it when you're writing a brief, but I always write that part last. Uh. And it's difficult because you have all of this mosaic of what you've written in your head. And you want to lead the reader in a way... I would rather the reader start with the stories, like those two stories I just told you. Mm -hmm. But an introduction is supposed to come in the beginning. You're supposed to read it first. It's supposed to be an overview and give the argument. So I found that by far the hardest mm -hmm. to write. How long did it take you to write this book? It took me between eight and nine months. Hmm. So I took it very seriously and I said, um, you know, I'm going to write two hours a day, every day. Uh, no email, no phone calls, no interruptions. And I just had a very clear schedule for myself how many words I had to write a day in order to get it done by Halloween. Was it much, was it much harder than you anticipated? No, there are moments when you really get stuck. Um, but I think it's all about creating a deadline for yourself and having the discipline to write every single day. Mm. And so the, I, I had said I have to write 500 words a day and, you know, if they're terrible, then the next day you have to write a thousand good ones. <laughs> so it concentrates the mind. <laughs> how, do, how do you figure out, uh, one of the things I always think is interesting about being an author is how do you figure out when is enough? How do you know when the book is long enough? Or how do you know when it's not long enough? I mean, how do you figure that out? Yeah, I outlined it very carefully in advance. So I knew all the chapters I wanted to do and I knew roughly what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. What was difficult about this book is that it's a huge overview. 
you know, 5,000 years of history, the biggest challenges that are facing the two largest nations on earth. And then I have three chapters in in the last section of the book that talk about how we should interact with these two giants. How can we prevent what seems to be inadvertently happening now is that we're on a trajectory of a more adverse relationship with China Mm. that if unchecked will end in something Mm. that looks a little like a new Cold Mm. War Mm. and an ever closer relationship with India. And I think we need to decide very clearly whether that's what we want. And if we do, fine. And we're going to have an adversarial relationship with China. But I think we shouldn't yet be there. So those chapters were hardest to write because you're digesting a huge amount of information and then you're also making a policy argument. So tell me a little bit about the, the company you started, the Rice Hadley Gates and what do you guys, what do you do for them and what, or what does that firm do? Yeah. So um, Dr. Rice and Steve Hadley, who'd been our national security advisor, and I founded the firm just about six years ago. Mm-hmm. We help Broadly, U.S. companies navigate emerging markets. Hmm. Bob Gates, who was Obama's Secretary of Defense, joined us as the fourth partner when he left the government. And we are intentionally small. We take on uh, very few clients, all American companies, Hmm. many of them tech and here in Silicon Valley. Hmm. And what we do differs very much from client to client. Hmm. So it can be a tech company trying to enter the market in China. It could be a, another company that wants to open five offices in Africa and they want to do it ethically and we help them think through the strategy. Where do you go? How do you do that? What mm. universities do you partner with? Mm. Um, and it's broad every day. One day it's Russia. One day it's tax policy in Saudi Arabia. The next day it's China and India. So it keeps you really on your toes and I just love it. Yeah, it's it sounds. I was going to say, it's, business it sounds like it. you're really enjoying it. Yeah, it sounds like it probably combines everything that you've sort of done to date, right? It combines a little bit of the law firm business. It combines a little bit your State Department. I mean, is that is that kind of and your and your experience growing up in foreign countries? I mean, is that sort of how you'd characterize it? It does, and and that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. And I also am able through the firm because we we work hard, but we also each of the partners has other obligations. It allows you to have a kind of a portfolio approach to your career and that all reinforces each other. So in addition to the firm, I teach a course on U.S. foreign policy in Asia at Stanford. Hmm. So that helps me learn the things I need for my consulting. And it helps me give back to Stanford that I feel has given me, that university has given me really a lot. Um, I get to do things like write this book, which makes me more of an expert in the things I need to know for the firm. I get to walk around and do some press and give some speeches. And it's it's just a very nice way to live your life. Mm. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've sort of done everything. You worked in private practice. You worked at the government. You worked at a, you founded your own firm. But do you have any other? Do you have any specific future plans or future things that you want to still accomplish? I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but I thought I would ask. Yeah, only in America can you completely reinvent yourself four <laughs> times by the time you're forty. Um, no, I'm really happy where I am. I think if um, there were a a an administration that needed my help where I could actually positively do something, I would consider going back into the U.S. government. But, you know, I live out here in California, as do you. It's a good life out here, and it makes it a lot harder to 
uproot your family and, and take them back to the East Coast. But, you know, we, we have long lives ahead, hopefully, and there are many different things I could imagine doing. I could imagine starting a company. I'm perfectly happy where I am. I could imagine doing some public service. It's just we're lucky to live in a country where you can reinvent yourself repeatedly. Well, Anya, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you decide to do something else or write a second book, you'll definitely have to come back and tell me about it. Thank you very much for having me. This is Richard Chu and Anya Manuel. Thank you.